like maybe we understand the limits of perfection because it's so mm-hmm. ingrained in us to be obsessed with it or something. I mean, I know I, I would definitely describe myself as a recovering perfectionist. Like, that. Interesting. I'll criticize like the way my husband does like one thing and mm-hmm. he'll get like very offended by it. And um, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, you don't know how many things I have already held back on. <laughs> like how many things I have not said that I have wanted to say so bad. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self-pressed for the five wing, four five eight trifecta. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pressed sexual nine with one nine seven four trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an eight wing seven, sexual self-pressed with eight five four fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pressed social three wing four with a three six nine trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe us on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram, the only anti-Harry Potter 9-11 truther Enneagram <laughs> podcast there is. We're doing type one today, and uh, we're here with our special guests, uh, Jamie and Mary. And I'm going to say a little bit about one, and then I'd like you all to introduce yourselves, if you would please. So generally speaking, one represents the sort of the integrity and purposefulness and alignment that we find when we're really present in the body. And healthy ones have a sort of a natural wisdom and discernment for um, how to live into uh, the best possibility. And that can be morally, it can be aesthetically, but there's always this view of like the, the highest or, or most good or most sacred form of something. And so um, when ones are healthy, they generally have an eye towards that uh, possibility or that sensibility, but they also have mercy for how things just actually are, how things are messy. But uh, when they become more stressed out and overwhelmed and they can start feeling like they're the only responsible person or the only one that gives a shit, they start judging themselves and other people for not living up to those ideals. And so in this series, we've been doing these interviews with people of different types and really trying to get into the guts of the types and um, get to the heart, not just like so that people like, oh, I know what a one is now, but like can really understand and empathize and feel the one in them and what that is and, and, and humanize all the types. So yeah, if Mary or Jamie, if you want to take it away. I'm Mary. I am a uh, one with a nine. I'm a self-pressed sexual tri-type one for six. Hi, I'm Jamie. I am a one with a two wing. I am a sexual self-pres and a one seven three tri-type. All right. Oh, do you want to tell them about uh, what you do if you want people to find you, that kind of oh, stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm an opera singer. Um, you can find me at marycloudmezzo.com because I'm a mezzo soprano. How do you spell mezzo? M-E-Z-Z-O, like right. Italian for middle. I am a fashion designer, and the name of my line is Production Mode, and you can find that at www.productionmodechicago.com. 
You got to tell people that you're a DJ too. <laughs> yeah. It's an okay. important detail. <laughs> I am also a DJ and you can find that on Mixcloud at Miss Hayes, M-I-S-S-H-A-V-E. The world's only type one DJ. Seriously. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> These are the most efficient intros we have ever had. Just in case you were wondering. <laughs> so proud. Yeah, you should be. That's the one thing. <laughs> Jamie's collage was the first collage reading that started kick started the whole thing. The sacred so prime cool. collage. <laughs> yes. She was she was the first. The, the number one. <laughs> Mary, do you know the collage things that I have yeah, like I've looked at them and like are they all from the cards that you buy or like no 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 like, yeah i don't i kind of don't understand <laughs> well david of uh, 2014 he designed six cards to embody what what stackings. each each of the stackings what that energy is okay. and the idea was that if you if you looked at the six cards that your own sort of reaction to each card would point to what your stacking was right. and so when i was seeing jamie i showed her one of the the card the card deck she didn't like any of them at all she was like super <laughs> super shitting on every like she was like oh these are terrible like terrible artwork sounds, and- sounds like me <laughs> 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 I had a so we, we, we might have a one here i know i would like so relate to that <laughs> she was like these are horrible so i was like okay let's let's uh make a you know a collage that you like and so uh we ended up doing you know making a collage that she liked you know made put it together and everything and i sent it off to david not telling him who it was just like hey what do you what do you see here and he spat out like a paragraph of his magical david wow. philosopher of the universe kind of <laughs> thing and i and i read it to her and it was like kind of a really eerie totally read her mail and pointed out like the type one rigidity versus the looseness of the sexual drive and so that was like holy shit you can actually pick up a lot of people's stuff from a collage that they put together, especially the instinctual stacking. And so that began the whole thing. Oh, wow. David attributed like different elements to the, to the yes. instincts and like yes. the uh, Baba Chakra at the center has these three poisons that are pig, uh, snake, and a, a rooster. And they represent ignorance and attachment and aversion okay. that he dissociated with the instincts as well. So it was sort of like a had its own inner logic it wasn't just like here's the collage <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's lots of images. look yeah. at this picture i made <laughs> yeah. isn't it pretty put it on your refrigerator <laughs> that's what i like thought at first when i was seeing them and i was like very confused but then i like this has just been years it. of us trying to uh include david as a very special person <laughs> <laughs> my collage cool david <laughs> good job we're just trying to fit him in somewhere somewhere Mary has a big old nine wing. I do. I'm I'm a very ninety one, definitely. <laughs> I'm I'm curious because I don't necessarily understand. I don't know how. I guess this is just like a more chill nine. Is that what the fuck does a nine wing on a one look like, or what is your experience? Um, it does look confusing. I think because sometimes I feel like I get I get like the sort of like one productivity thing going, and I can like see that and objectivity, and then like the nine sort of just like disperses everything. <laughs> <laughs> and like kind of like so yeah chills it out but like in a frustrating way to me sometimes okay. but yeah and and also you can like I think yeah I think perhaps I'm not as rigid as someone's or like quite as judgmental 
That okay. might not be totally true. <laughs> that might not be Yeah, for you. Like my experience of Mary is that, uh, you know, she's a little bit more philosophical and mm-hmm. like the, the sort of the judgment or whatever comes from a sort of a, like Mary really represents like an ideal, like going to oh, the okay. ideal place yeah. and critiquing from an ideal. And it's not very like procedural or like, oh, you're not doing it right. Like someone's, it's like really uh, this like sense of goodness and aesthetic rightness and um, sacredness that I think is like really there. And then plus her mom is like the world's <laughs> biggest nine. Yes, oh, okay. Yes. 99. The most chaotic so uh, nine of the nines. And so uh, there's, I think there's some, some rub there. But, yeah. uh, da- David, what's your experience of uh, ones that have a nine wing versus the one versus with two wing? Well, it's uh, kind of what John was alluding to. It's more uh, abstract and uh, sort of separate. It's almost, in a, in a way, quasi five-ish. Although that's not mm. maybe not a helpful way to talk about it. But it's it's it can be you know kind of separate in ideal space, if that makes sense, right? And so that makes it kind of five-ish. Whereas one with the two is much more kind of involved with people and kind yeah. of is more opinionated about how people around them should be living their lives or something, you know? That yeah. Kind of- that's, that was the sense I got from Jamie. Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're involved in, in, um, with, um, the fashion industry in terms of the ethics of how fashion is made mm-hmm. right? and mm-hmm. you do a lot of, what do you call that? But you've spoken at some events that were advocating for more, yeah, anti-sweatshop work, yes, or it could be yeah. slow fashion, fair trade, you know, falls into a lot of categories. But yeah, yeah. I'm probably more on the two end. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like funny. for social last to get out there and just be like on the front yeah. lines for a movement like that, that's not, yeah. that's probably more involved. So what about like a, a one wing two with the social and the stacking? What would that look like? Hillary Clinton. I know, I know, I know, John. I think Hillary Clinton's a three. Yeah, but, I know, I know. You know, Bernard <laughs> is a. Like oh, a, man. All right. <laughs> yeah, Bernie, Bernie, yeah, Bernie's a good example. That's a good example. One, too, yeah. yeah. Okay. So a little bit more philanthropic or? More hands on with the people, whereas one with a nine is more philosophical. Like Noam Chomsky is like uh, an old, uh, you know, like one with a nine comparison there you to go. Bernie with an old one with a two. It's like Noam Chomsky takes 30 years to say, you know, a <laughs> sentence, but he's, you know, very like in it. He's, sort of, he's got more like the five flavor that David's speaking to also. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. I'm married to a five. And so like, I feel like I do relate to him on kind of that level that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So one thing I was interested in when thinking about, um, you know, this call, like you guys, uh, you know, I don't really know you, Jamie, but I know Mary very well. Mary is the one who uh, ruined my life by telling me about the Enneagram (laughs) and um, told me I was a four uh, on that camping trip. And uh, you're actually in the in the intro of my book, Mary. Oh, wow. Destroying my life. But uh I think that generally speaking, when people hear about ones or when they hear about the struggle of ones with rigidity and ideals and things like that, uh, generally speaking, it conjures like kind of a caricature. 
and of of like a librarian, sexually <laughs> repressed librarian or something. And so I was curious, like how how you experience the stereotypes versus how you see it showing up in in a way that's not just this cut and dry like reten- anal retentive sense, but like like what what do you feel is um, like like what I get the sense of with one is there's always a sense of preserving or maintaining or or bringing something to a, a new level. And and so I wanted to speak. One of y'all, if, you, if both of y'all could speak to if that resonates and how that shows up for y'all. Man, yeah. The so you said that one of the big stereotypes being rigidity. Um, I that's one that I have never like really really identified with. Um, I mean, I get it a little bit because like. I guess I have high standards or whatever, but I've never been like surprised or like overly distraught if like those standards aren't met. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit more flexible than that. Um, But I do, on the other hand, relate to um, sort of if I like have to let too much of that go, like a frustration with that. Um, I don't know, Jamie, what do you want to say? I totally relate to what you're saying. Uh, I don't feel like I'm a rigid person. I I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian environment where there was a ton of rigidity and I hated it. So, I mean, I definitely ran screaming from that. I would say to the librarian point, I think people definitely perceive me that way, but I also have a sexual instinct, which I know doesn't mean that I'm a promiscuous person. That's not what that is about, but I definitely, and like you said in your intro, in in tune with my body and present with my body. So I don't have that intellectual disconnect from the sensual by any means. And I think it's, you know, not surprising both of us are in aesthetic fields, (laughs) fields where you really have to, where taste is important, but also physicality, sensuality, pleasure, Mm -hmm. you know, Definitely. People don't go to the opera to enjoy themselves. No. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So so you're a sexy librarian. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's more accurate. We've got to take the bun out and take the glasses off and (laughs) watch out. Because really, isn't that what everyone's talking about when they're talking about the librarian? (laughs) Yeah. They just unbutton the top button all of a sudden. They're sexy. Yeah. Everybody wants to do the librarian. So I think that's a really interesting point, Jamie. Me and Mary, that that you know, like a lot of where uh, you know your your energy goes to, to is towards aesthetics. And again, like another stereotype that I often run across with ones is thinking that they're not creative people. And mm-hmm. so, like uh, you know, we fours get that reputation. <laughs> so I was just wondering, uh, you know, how you feel, like like what like from the point of view of oneishness, and 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 you know, it's uh, if you could speak to how oneishness and aesthetics. Uh, come together. And I do think there's a sense of, for somebody with a design perspective, like if you think about design thinking, you're problem solving, you're, you are Mm -hmm. making some sense out of the chaos. Um, You're ordering the world. I mean, even I partly became a designer because I would go to buy shoes or clothes or whatever, and I wouldn't see what I would like. I always thought, well, I could improve this. So it's this sense of maybe it's yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's arrogance, but there's a sense <laughs> maybe it's a tiny bit, just a smidge. But uh, you know, you have this sense of of wanting to make things better and, and improve on things. That said, um in, in speaking to the rigidity question, like I'm a pretty messy person, but I am able to get things done, um, make things happen. Like I'm a, I'm also very productive. So I don't know if 
I'll make a quick comment because when you said she says she's a pretty messy person and there's one time I came over to her apartment and she was like oh this place is so messy and I kid you not it was still fucking pristine clean as shit like there were a couple crumbs maybe here and there and she was like oh my gosh this is so messy I got four empty cups on my desk right now. (laughs) So just just to be clear, when she says messy, it's not your messy. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say people experience themselves in their own viewpoint. So often ones don't view themselves as rigid and (laughs) organized because that's just their way of viewing the world all the time. The water you're swimming in. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. The water you're swimming in, you can't really help. Um, I really relate to what you said about um, as far as like aesthetics and like being artistic, like creating order out of chaos sort of. Um, so one of the things that um, drew me the most to opera was, is, is the rehearsal process because that's like the majority of the work. And so when you go to a rehearsal, you have to deal with all these different personalities and in opera, they are often from like all over the world. You have the director, you have the music director, you have the entire orchestra. So like, it seems like this should be chaos, but it ends up not being at all. And it ends up working like, like hundreds of people sort of in harmony. And to me that I, that is how I feel the sort of like making order out of chaos. So what's interesting to me, though, is that, you know, a lot of the emphasis, at least in how one is taught and described generally, mm-hmm. is about improving things, but the, mm-hmm. in, in a practical or, or useful or functional sense. But like, you know, the aesthetic isn't practical right. and it's not <laughs> useful. And I mean, that's part of its, its gift. And, you know, beauty, it's an orientation to chaos in a certain way that there's uh there's a kind of a, a an intimacy with it that's not just random and so uh, i wonder if either of y'all could speak to to that with like the the relationship of beauty and what beauty represents because i mean speaking for myself it's like we live in a, a hugely broken ugly disgusting you know dysfunctional <laughs> corrupt sickening cancer yeah world. we get it john and uh <laughs> and you know i think that as a four versus that one, like, even though we have a line, like we probably have different perspectives on, on beauty, but I think for both of our types, it's like a really central feature. Yeah. Like, so what you're asking is like sort of beauty's place in the world. Like, why do I go to like beauty slash aesthetic? Yeah. Like, why aren't you like uh, volunteering at like an animal (laughs) shelter? Okay. I got you. (laughs) You should do that by the way, Mary. Yeah. Why aren't you better? (laughs) could be doing so much more so, so much, much improvement <laughs> Tommy, you got us. <laughs> all right everybody shut up <laughs> so i and i was saying that like sort of the one like ego on my shoulder um like kind of always ask myself that like i'm like shouldn't i just like be a nurse or something like i would always be useful um but i don't i don't know it it i think Ultimately, it's super vague, but it has to do with like human connection, which I like value. Like, I value that like more than most things. And like connection through like storytelling, though. Um, so through, I guess, like uh, archetypes, maybe. I think for me, kind of hearing that description of beauty as you know orientation of chaos. I mean, it made me think of of nature and 
just how nature has beauty and so much imperfection and that it makes order out of a chaos. But there's also that, like, for something to truly be beautiful, often it has to be irregular or unique or surprising mm-hmm. um, or improvisational. And all of those things are what attract me to, to beauty. And I guess also even just that it's something that it defies logic, it defies order and perfection. It's like you can't program beauty. It doesn't work like that. It almost sounds like when you guys are describing beauty, it like goes away from this perfection oneness. Like, I don't know what that is. That's just yeah, really interesting. Maybe we, like, maybe we understand the limits of perfection because it's so... Mm-hmm ingrained in us to be obsessed with it or something i mean i know i, I would definitely describe myself as a recovering perfectionist like <laughs> interesting yeah. why would I've you say recovering that... <laughs> <laughs> um because it doesn't bring happiness you know it just makes you feel bad and it can riddle you with indecision it can make the people around you feel bad so it's just like you know just try to be good enough do your best uh-huh what, and then what, also perfectionism is boring. Like people who are perfectionists are too rigid. Yeah, limited. perfectionism sucks. <laughs> J- Jamie, in response to, to what you're, you're saying about a relationship of like kind of including a certain kind of chaos in in, in, in working with it, I, it makes me think of like almost like um, uh, homeopathy or like mm-hmm. uh, like a ritual where like, you know, you kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, put the energy of something in into you in a certain way to have a relationship with it rather than expelling it or something like creating a little bit of a ritual that uh it's not a control but it's like a it's a way to to meet it in a in a kind of a to to have that encounter you know like Mm -hmm. with something that is beyond like your control like like chaos or whatever does that sound right Totally. And I, I think it's also somewhat about embracing the mystery and realizing that as a human being, there's only so much order you can create, only so much control you can have over mm-hmm. things. And at some point you have to give yourself up to not knowing what's going to happen next or something bigger than yourself. Yeah, I really relate to that, what you said about embracing the mystery. Like that is kind of like always what I've been interested in, like in different ways in my whole life. So yeah, like that's always sort of been the goal. And for some reason, I feel like art is the only thing that like takes me closest to that feeling. True. And like with art, with great art, you can never completely dissect it or understand why it's so great. You can't, you know, there's something ineffable about it always. So for like younger ones that are listening to this, um, or people who are newer to understanding their oneness, did you always have this kind of relationship with chaos or was it, was this kind of as you learned about yourself and as you learned about your uh, perfectionism, for lack of a better word, did you kind of create this relationship with chaos? Like I said, I'm a recovering perfectionist, but um, Mm. yeah, I think that comes with probably maturity for, for a lot of people though. I don't know if that's specific for one, it's hard to say. But growing up in a super rigid environment, like I said, I, I realized how toxic that was for me, that there were all these rules and you were never good enough and you always had to feel bad about yourself. You were always judging someone else or your position in the higher, it was super hierarchical. And so your position was determined on like how much better you were than other people. Mm. And I just saw how miserable everybody was in that world. So I don't know if it, I was in some ways lucky to kind of see something like taken to its extreme. 
in order to to realize that it, it just it's not a very helpful psychological orientation and yeah. you know it's also pretty boring like perfectionism <laughs> is boring like it's not rigidity is boring it's not beautiful based on what you guys have been saying it just feels like art and aesthetics represent some kind of a a really like a high ideal like it's a per mm-hmm. it's almost like you know of course ones are um like perfection is boring but there's an ideal <clears throat> in aesthetics and art i think it's like a solution is one way to say mm. it so it's mm-hmm. not so much a perfection as it is a solution or an ideal it's an I'm, integration I'm sure. yeah, is that I right maybe it's trying to perfect things as much as you can but realize that you know if you're a, maybe kind of have a healthier sense of self or you had time to figure out your oneness you know that you realize that that's an ideal you can never quite reach or that you have to leave room for mess or chaos within Mm. all of that in order to actually have things be vibrant and not be too locked in Mm. interesting jamie do you have a piece of art or music or performance or anything any aesthetic experience that that is like you consider to be a favorite or uh, or a particularly moving representation of a certain idealism that you strive for i'm so terrible at those questions always of like what is my favorite whatever (laughs) like my mind just goes blank Uh, so i have to think about it for a little while but i would say like um even though i don't work in these uh this this medium that my life often takes me back to to dance um and watching people perform dance i think there's just something about that that is so beautiful and so transcendent the body center perf- beautified mm-hmm. yeah. right mm-hmm. into an ideal yeah i can relate to that as a body type just i i really appreciate any sort of movement arts of all kinds just even like martial arts just any when you can bring together a set of movements and it comes together into a, a really complicated sequence of body expressions i think that's really cool well, it does something for me for sure jamie um being a one uh, you dated Emika, right? Yes. So was it that Emika was chaos that you were attracted to, or was that he's a broken man that you needed to fix? <laughs> we, we ended up meeting because of Prince, but let me let me let her answer. I'm not, not going to drown her out. Oh, God. Um, I don't see uh, Emika's broken or particularly chaotic, but, you know, I, I think we, we only dated for a couple months. So it it was only a couple months, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a super intense, you know, thing. So well, maybe you can get to know him the way that you all know him. Well, you definitely, I, in terms of chaos, I, there was a point where I was, uh, I kept sending her uh, these images <laughs> that I liked. And, and she was like, what the fuck are you, do-? you know, just like her reaction to some of these images. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you forgot like that. Four years ago, too. Yeah, yeah. I was like, those are grossing me out. Like, you know, <laughs> I, don't, don't ruin whatever idea I have of you. You know, like, I don't want to know. Like, don't uncover too much of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so once my collages, I think once she saw my collages, she was like, what the, what, what are You're you, good. a warlock or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think really she was into that. She was not into that. Kind of, I, yeah, grot- there was a lot of uh, attraction to the grotesque in the collages, I remember. Mm. You know, just like monsters and, and deformity. Keep, keeping the chaos chaotic instead of necessarily refined and beautiful yeah for sure for sure the way me and jamie met we met because the night that prince died she was djing <laughs> at danny's which some of you guys have been to respect yeah. mm-hmm. 
Um, and so me and OD ended up there and um, we ended up all dancing and and at some point we all kept hanging out and I went to Jamie's birthday party at the same place, Danny's. And that was the night that we ended up starting hooking up again or started hooking up. Also, I don't know if you remember this, Emma, but my brother was uh, super ill. Like I got the news either the night of my birthday party or the day before or something. And he was, Oh, there. you never told me this. Or yeah, well, maybe like, you did and I forgot. Sorry. I don't know. I don't remember either. <laughs> I, pro- I definitely wouldn't have told you that night. I don't know if I told you afterwards, but he was in very critical condition. And so I knew that the next morning I was going to drive uh, back to St. Louis. And so I was in this very kind of like, you only got one life. <laughs> She's it trying up. to explain exactly. why she chose me. Yeah, who's this this freak? Okay, I've I'll got one him. life. Okay, Emika. Oh all right, God. fine, cool. I all didn't right, mean it like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Okay, it's my last night on Earth, probably. So we can, yeah, we could do this. No, I don't think I remember that. No, it was it was just an intense moment for me, for sure. But I probably didn't want to like bore you with all the details when I didn't know you well, you know. I would have, I would have probably been into all those details. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, Emiko, if all would have gone there with you. Yeah. Tell me all the details. Tell me all your dark secrets. I want to know. <laughs> I kind of have a question for all. I mean, I know that introvert extrovert isn't uh, how Enneagram operates. It's it's more in depth and nuanced than that. But I do find that it seems friends of mine who identify as extroverted are doing better in this uh, COVID situation than my friends who typically um, identify as introvert. And I don't know, uh, my my only theory about that is that those of us who identify as extroverts understand how much we need people and have found ways, workarounds Mm -hmm. to continuing to socialize. And maybe those who are introverted don't have as many tools in their toolkit for figuring out how to get those interactions that they need as well, even if they're much more minimal. I don't know. Does that do anything for you? Any grammars? Does that? J- Jamie, we, we ask the questions here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You need to. Uh, back. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Is that a one trait? Probably. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I love that you ask questions. Um, yeah. I just am a dick. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, a, I, I think it's an interesting question. Like, like, uh, I don't know. I, I have seen all sides of the spectrum where I've seen some introverts that are just like, this is great. This is what I'm doing anyway. And I've seen a lot of extroverts, uh, you know, either flourishing because as you said that they really know that connection is necessary. And I've also seen uh, extroverts really just going insane. I think it kind of could come down to who's more technologically savvy. Mm. Yep. You know, like I, I am not super technologically savvy, but my boyfriend is. So we often do things with my friends via Zoom and Skype because he suggests it and I love it, but I would never suggest it because I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point because, you know, a lot of our people, our age or our generation have access to a lot of ways to connect online, video calls and things like that. Uh, I want to ask, Jamie, being a sexual type, uh, and one is not a often I think people feel those might be conflicting energies and just for the for the listeners in the house um, 
in Enneagram theory, there is, in my opinion, a lot of bullshit about uh, sexual ones like Naranjo, who is um, one of the early, he was the student of Achazo, Achazo being the guy who kind of made the modern Enneagram. Uh, Naranjo did a lot to try to um, modernize and you apply psychology to Achazo's fairly mystical system, philosopher of the universe system. And um, in so doing, he came up with these combinations of type and instincts that were not actually based on instinctual drives as biological drives. They're based on this whole obscure Gurdjieff concept of subdivision of centers. But what ended up happening is that uh, it resulted in a widespread teaching of what are called subtypes. And people mistake these for instincts all the time. And so my memory serves uh, the sexual one is often described as like intensely jealous and like a zealot and all this kind of exaggerated blah, blah, blah. Um, but one of the, th- the contributions that uh, those of us here on this uh, pod race uh, have been bringing forward is the view of instincts as biological drives, you know, and uh, clarifying that sexual is, is often taught as like one-on-one intimacy or connection, which it's not social is, and social just has a very flexible lens. Sexual instinct is about attraction, being attracted and attracting. It's about pursuing chemistry and needing that kind of that hit of chemistry with somebody. And so for some people, I think it can be difficult to put the kind of caricature of one and, you know, striving for perfection and then the sexual instinct, which has a kind of chaotic element to it. So I was wondering if you could, you know, I know that you don't, you're not like deep dive in Enneagram, but if, if you could elaborate on some how those things come together for you. Yeah, I wish, uh, Emma, if you have that collage handy, like I feel like a visual would just. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll end up sending those to you guys, but the visual of her collage very much speaks to, um, and of course, my experience of Jamie, uh, one of the most fascinating things about her to me is that I could see that she was somewhat of a well, really, I describe her sometimes as uppity <laughs> personality <laughs> that was really wanting to be on top of her shit. And, you know, she calls her her fashion brand uh, production mode. But at the same time, there was this really loose creativity that she had. I mean, even the night that we met that she was DJing, um, she was getting out there and she was just, you know, cutting it up to prints and everything. And so the contrast of those two things, if this is someone who can really get in there with you in terms of locking in energetically and can go with, you know, really creative and out there things, but at the same time has really high standards for, um, yeah, just real high standards for aesthetics and high standards for just a lot of things. And so that combination was really interesting to me of order and chaos together. Yeah, I guess um, maybe one way that it would present present itself in a way that makes sense to me is kind of uh, sometimes I'm attracted to extremes or singularity. Um, I think there's a real desire to not be bored, Um, (laughs) you know, but I'm not I wouldn't, I'm not particularly wild. Like I have not super experimental with drugs, but maybe I will want to hear about someone's experience who has been, or I'll be attracted to that experience and that knowledge. So I think there's something where like, there's definitely in the extremes or in the really singular experiences or people in the world, there's, there's always going to be, or there usually is some kind of mess or mystery. Um, but there's also something use the word singular it may not be an ideal but it's certainly or extreme it's the end point or the avant-garde or does that make sense 
yeah and and so how how does that factor in with uh the way you present yourself as attractive like you know like how do you attract let's we, mm. we often use the term like display like what is your hooks or your display as a one how do you oh. like be like i'm an interesting person and come get it you know Oh yeah, uh, I think I would describe myself as like a very, very particular flavor, but people who like that flavor like it a lot. So like, I'm yeah. not going for the higher market. I'm not like, here's your vanilla ice cream. It's palpable. It's gonna sell well, but there's nothing particularly special or interesting about it. I'm like, oh, you know, let me pull you over here. This is gonna be something that you're gonna go very deep into. This is gonna be super compelling and interesting, but it's not for everybody. And also, I don't care about what all the rest of you think. So there's something that can be really compelling to a certain segment of of the population about that. I, I love that you're saying that because, you know, given that you don't have like a whole big, long background in the Enneagram, you're you're totally nailing the sexual instinct because right. <laughs> part of what the sexual instinct is about is attraction, but it's attraction based on specificity. You know, it's not being generically mm-hmm. like, you, like you said, it's not being vanilla and pleasing. It's like you're going to really, you're going to want to crave it or you're really going to be uh, repelled by it. So I think that's, that's, that's great that you touched on that. Would yeah. you say that your music and your, uh, your fashion is a way that you attract people? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a cachet and being, you know, involved in the art. People think that's interesting, you know, like when you go back to Thanksgiving dinner, you know, your family's like, wow, that's so cool. But I mean, <laughs> It's, I don't actually do it for those reasons. I act, you know, I actually think right. it's boring when people think that's cool. <laughs> that yeah. sounds totally like an asshole thing to say, but it's, it's the truth. Yeah, but it's, it's like the, the displays, like we're instinctual creatures and our, and our instinctual displays are unconscious. Like, yeah. like I, you know, I'm not like, like I, I paint and I'm not like painting because I'm like some chick is going to want to bang me <laughs> for this. Uh, but right. When I paint, you know, it's like, but it is, it is like just a byproduct and I have this compulsion to produce, like to reference actual, like, you know, like what anthropologists and blah, blah, blah talk about. It's like, these things are actually human display mechanism, mm-hmm. right? And we just do them automatically and we, we feel maybe like a, 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 a burning energy around them, but it's not like we're like cognizant of what results you know this is going to be it like feels like it's pursuing beauty or passion or something like that but it's it's got a whole biological utility you know what i'm saying totally um and i'm gonna kind of take that in a slightly different direction i would say that you know again remembering that i grew up in a fundamentalist christian environment it's like i grew up two generations ago and so i would say part of it too was wanting to be related with people who are maybe iconoclast or questioning things or interesting. And, and also growing up, anything interesting that happened was a man's world. So I think even something like DJing is still very much a man's world. Fashion design, not so much, but kind of being involved in, in the arts and doing things and being in charge of things. I think that was always uh, very compelling to me as a woman in a repressive environment. Not so much, I think, like out of, you know, feminism, which I mean, I definitely identify with, but more so to be around other creative people of whatever gender. Mm-hmm. 
like that display, it's not just display, it's also to put myself in a position where I'm going to be around other interesting people. Right. Like right. the worst thing I could think of was just be like talking about the Cubs. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, I could just stop there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like our condo associations, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm getting excited. <laughs> Oh, I'm Cloud is back. Back. Mary's back. I'm back. Mary's back. Mary's back. I hope Yay. it works for real. I'm sorry. If anyone needs me to talk about one frustration and anger at this moment, I can like really <laughs> Yeah, what's well, coming up for you right now, Mary? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd actually well, love to hear that. That's not Let's true. process together. <laughs> I mean, just like every, it's all, oh my God, can you not hear me? There it is. <laughs> That's how we'll fuck with Mary the rest of this call. <laughs> oh no. Um, it's just like all like I cannot even explain to you a reason why I feel this much like inward heat and like just so much anger right now. <laughs> um like I can't even I it's it's not explainable. It's all like on a physical level. That is that is yeah. and that's usually how like anger and frustration like presents itself for me. Well, and, and the thing about Mary too, though, is you you can uh, <laughs> you can stay like light and happy on the outside. Yeah, yes, pretty yes, well. Yes. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. When you get angry, what does it sound like? Like, it, what's your? It what's sounds that? like this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like this to everyone, but like maybe my family and my husband. Uh, in for then for them, it sounds like like yelling like loud yelling yeah <laughs> another another interesting thing about mary is that you know she and her family like she grew up with the enneagram right wow i know sometimes i feel mm. like i'm not i can't explain stuff as well because it's always been sort of like instinctual for me like how i how i decide like oh this person is a four or this person is a nine or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah since childhood she's been yeah fluent. my parents like typed me in my like crib <laughs> they were like they were like they're because apparently at one point I was like um it wasn't like the baby crib but it was like the toddler like playpen thing and I was like I like lined up all my shoes like oh. in order and oh, then my man. dad told me that I had to like put them away and I like had a meltdown Oh, <laughs> I had just like lined them up all like how I wanted them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Jamie and Mary, you guys are both social blind. Um, yes. And I was wondering if, uh, like, like I think a lot of you know, keep referring to stereotype, just because I think sometimes the stereotype around one is very uh, entrenched, and also because ones are actually pretty rare. Yes. And, and mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it's easier for people, just like any type, but it's easy for people to remember like a, an exaggerated Hollywood version. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you might see in a, a caricature in a comedy movie or something that like, you know, like I said, the librarian earlier. So I think a lot of people's uh, first, second and third impressions about ones generally is is like with a one with more social instinct. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, also like, like, you know, even if, even if a one is like a self-praised social one, uh, generally there's still kind of like a classic archetypal sense of one where I'm, I'm making, I'm very ordered and, um, 
I don't know, there's a, there is more emphasis on utility. And so both of your stack kings are some of the most impractical stackings, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely phrase it that way. And, they and rub s- themselves the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so with this one order making, you know, kind of quality, like how do you s- experience yourselves as social blind in, in conflict with the one energy? Uh, I, w- I would just say I, that one always was hard for me. I feel like I'm a, a socially adept person uh and that my social skills have served me well i yeah so i i kind of i kind of never understood the concept of being socially blind so i think maybe emica could weigh in more about how i'm socially blind yeah (laughs) i think i remember now that when we talked about it back then you didn't see yourself uh and you didn't necessarily feel that you were deficient in social and I, I think what I tried to explain is I'm, I'm an assertive type as well and I can be out there and involved with people and I too had a difficulty uh, recognizing how I could be social blind but it's kind of speaking to what you were saying before that you know you'd end up at a party you you talk to people a couple people in depth and you got a lot of energy from being from around people but the sort of lens of your attention was very narrowly focused to um, certain people, whereas social types uh, have kind of an idea of um, how other people are viewing them and how uh, they're connecting to other people, the different degrees of connection to other people. So a lot of social types put a, are invested a lot in in building and maintaining different kinds of connections. A complex social map. Yes. And- and like a social type might at a party make sure to have a certain kind of interaction with the host, right? Or I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z relative to these certain kinds of people in the, in the group or something and, and, and sensing a hierarchy rather than going nose diving in with individuals. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I was listening to y'all's podcast about with the ape. Um, oh, okay. And I Mar- married guy sisters with uh, yeah, Sienna. Sienna. Sienna's okay. an ape. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and someone said the phrase "scanning." Like when you go into a party and you scan the room, I was like, "What is this scanning the room?" You see, <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I totally relate to the like I. Only this year have I even like really connected with the fact that that's a thing that maybe I should do. Um, and only because I've had to because of my job. Like this is the first year I've been a full-time opera singer and you have to do it so much at like donor events and stuff like that. Um, and so like this year I've really sort of realized how much I am social last, um, like that element. And then like also the whole element of people expect you to like talk to certain people in a different way. Like you Mm. have to like cater the way you speak to different people. And I, that to me is just Uh, like physically excruciating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm over here. Like that makes perfect sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, do you relate to that at all? Yeah, totally. And I I was just thinking about how one big part of my job is uh, because I'm an independent designer. I don't have a salesperson. I have to do all these sales events. And if it's a huge market, for example, um, like we have a show here in Chicago where it's 70,000 people who come through over the course of four days. And it just drains me. Like I'm just dead 
come home. And I, I was shocked when I started doing this that that didn't give me energy. I was like, wait, I'm a, I'm a social person. I'm so social. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I, I hate everybody. I never want to talk to anyone ever again. <laughs> And definitely that thing of like, you have to send someone a thank you note. And you're supposed to bring a host oh. gift. Like, all that stuff. There it is. There it is. <laughs> social. That's social uh, right there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I personally I, hate that Yeah. Stuff. So I am def- Okay. That huge blind spot. I'm, I'm, I own it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I also um, find that even if I go to like, I have a good social interaction, like I go to a party and I've like had a good time, like when I'm like driving home or whatever, it's like I have like a hangover immediately like a social (laughs) hangover and it's like I have to like calm down with like I have to find something to calm me down sort of I I don't have that but I think it's because of the the sexual burst in that you know I I managed to yeah myself into a corner with someone and go deep and then I'm like oh that's not good (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, I mean Mary's pretty introverted too. Yeah, and I'm I'm also very introverted, right? So, um, that kind of reminded me of some ones I know in my life so that I've talked to tend to have like a, a lot of self judgment. Um, so I've heard a lot of ones like when they leave social interactions will be kind of like, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that, and that's a very social kind of thing. But um, there's a lot of self judgment around the social and self pres in the ones that I know. Do you have? Do either of you have? kind of self-judgment in the sexual or self-pres way? Um, I would say I used to um, analyze everything all the time, especially myself. And as I've gotten older, just been more like, fuck it, who cares? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just let it go. You know, you just got to be you. But um, I would say too, I don't know if this is related to the stackings at all, but I'm very, I think I'm very good usually at reading people's body language and knowing mm. if I'm landing or not you know yeah. like do they like me like so I used to be definitely a people pleaser too as a result and then and pretty good at kind of you know reading people's cues or they're, they're having a little like a psychic connection with people and I've actually tried to turn that off as I've gotten older because I'm like that is just noise in my brain that I don't need I don't want to know what you're thinking or like you know <laughs> just fucking tell me like why do I have to figure it out for you so that's something I, I have. I don't know because I don't know the Enneagram if that makes me more of a one or more sexual or what. But well, I think it's a body center um, yeah. orientation because we've we've had calls with nines, eights, and it was interesting how each of those types said something about how they were able to physically sense into other people, mm-hmm. and um, nines are sort of absorbing other people unconsciously and not being able to like very sensitively, and eights are sort of are able to at least some of the eights that were on the, that call where I can sense what someone is thinking or what they might be wanting to do um, through the body. So it's interesting to hear you say how you could read people through the body, um, uh, whether if you were landing or not with that person. Mm-hmm. Just, I relate to that as well. Yeah. Um, okay. The, like, I feel like I do, like, I agree. I, I, I can sense, like you said, where I'm landing with someone mm-hmm. and, um, but I am also not exempt from what Nancy was saying about like, I definitely do kind of like go over everything that just happened in my head, even though I am social acid, you have that. But I mean that to me, that feels a little bit more like the, like one judgment thing. 
yeah um of like how did i perform sort of <laughs> totally and maybe some type some uh six fix insecurity yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so like we're talking about the body and stuff like that and one of the things that i think is not very well understood about one as a body type is that you know the body types 891 are different strategies of maintaining ego boundaries and autonomy right like Eight, it's like, I'm going to not be affected by things. I'm going to declare my sort of autonomy and sovereignty by pushing against the environment and kind of amping things up. With nine, it's like, I'm going to kind of uh, space out a little bit and going to maybe go along to get along and, and keep things smooth. For the one, the way I control boundaries is primarily directed towards myself rather than the environment, meaning, mm. um, you know, inner criticism and, and trying to make sure that... Uh, my inside doesn't reveal something bad about me or flawed and um, making sure that like my inner life is, is good, is, you know, consistent in that extends to my outer life. But, um, you know, judgment is a big type one buzzword, keyword strategy, whatever. And part of the function, the psychological function of judgment is that it's a way to, um, it's a way to be on one hand connected to something, on the other hand, keep your distance from it. And so what I mean, like take, take like it, eating right, for example, like eating, like only, I only eat organic food or some shit like that. It's like, if I'm all critical and judgy about what food I'm eating, it's like, I'm very controlled about what comes into my body and into my boundaries and what doesn't go in. And it allows me to maintain a certain kind of purity in, in, a, in, a, in this case, a, a self-prez kind of way. Uh, so I was wondering if y'all could speak to, um, the way judgment and autonomy and even getting into anger and things like that, uh, how that operates for y'all. Yeah. Um, especially what you said about maintaining sort of the, like, and I guess having like the, your sort of inner life and like your body under control sort of, um, Mm -hmm. and like being able to, Oh, and having control over like how that, how you display that to other people. I think actually that that's part of like how I maintain the inner order is like keeping it safe from other people, sort of. I don't know if that's like self-prezzy, like kind of what you were just saying, what you mentioned about uh, the anger thing is that like only five people have ever like really like know what I am like when I'm like really angry um, because I'm able to like uh, sort of cater, like how that comes across. I want to have control over how it is expressed, like in the outside world. And then that's how I sort of like feel, I guess, like safe or like, that's how I relate to feeling things in my body, I guess. An aesthetic, an aesthetic of control, self-control. Yeah. 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 For me, I would say I definitely struggle when other people criticize me or judge me. It is, I think my biggest fault I do not take it well. And I think it's not so much that I think I'm perfect. I don't think it's arrogance. I think it's that I judge myself so harshly internally. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've already done, you know, like I'm doing my best. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was really hard for other people to to understand. You know, like I just asked you to do the dishes. And I'm like, oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm yeah. really hard over here. <laughs> It's like you've already judged yourself, so you don't need someone else to judge you for you. Yeah, which is completely unfair to the people around you, but... Um, it's not fair. <laughs> oh, I know. You really need to stop. That's a judgment of the judgment. There you go. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't listen to them. It's your experience. You're allowed to have it. 
Uh, I can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, I'll criticize like the way my husband does like one thing and mm-hmm. he'll get like very offended by it. And um, in my head, I'm like, you don't know how many things I have already held back on. <laughs> like how many things I have not said that I have wanted to say so bad. And I also relate to what you were saying, Jamie, about like, I have think I've grown better at taking criticism because that is like literally my entire career. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people's careers, but like people will continuously say it to my face um, as a performer. And uh, so I've gotten a little bit better, but I do definitely relate to like, I've already told myself this so many times that then hearing from hearing it from somebody else is like the last straw. Yeah. It's almost like we just need to be supported and yes. like, allowed to out and be free be yourself right struggling with that so much we don't need more voices in our head being like well you need to work on that yeah we need need to just like let it go on the other hand I do like really uh, sometimes I like want people to criticize me because I want to know that it's not all in my head like I want my Mm. inner critic to be like verified Mm. And so I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so, almost like six fix. Yeah. Yeah. Combo. Oh yeah. There you go. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, sometimes if I only get positive feedback, I, then I don't trust any of the positive well, then we know feedback. it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. We know authenticity too. Yes. So. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks y'all for uh, being on here. You did a sufficient job. No. <laughs> very productive. No, you're telling the truth. Uh, <laughs> very productive. Well, except you for Mary, a, you did an okay. Yeah. <laughs> except for Mary, who ruined everything. Just truly a shit. Like Could have done better. It's like a B minus, <laughs> maybe a C no, plus. It was an F. Be honest. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, it was great. F it was actually head. great. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> We embrace our little imperfect friends. <laughs> <laughs> what the Enneagram's about, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, really appreciate you guys being here because I thought I could think it was a really uh, deep and um, unconventional look at like what's really going on for ones. And it's just mm-hmm. not, not the fucking dumb shit you see on Instagram meme. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie, for agreeing to come on. Yeah, thank you. Podcast yeah. with us. <laughs> My yeah, to, to dealing thank with Emika again. Yeah, yeah gosh, dealing with me after so many years. <laughs> thank you mary for uh, persisting on against the okay. wi-fi yes <laughs> anytime bye guys bye, bye, bye. thanks guys bye.